So who is the strongest person you know? I mean, the strongest person you know. You, you, you got them in your mind right now. My niece uh, was married last Saturday in Spartanburg, and one of my brother-in-law's buddies from college was there. His name's Reed. Uh, Reed and my brother-in-law came over to my parents' house when I was in elementary school one afternoon, and, and Reed drove a Subaru Brat. Okay, that's B-R-A-T. And just for your random, unnecessary information, BRAT stands for by drive Recreational All-Terrain Transporter. So, something you can use playing Trivial Pursuit or absolutely no need at all for you to have that information. So, just pass it along. Reed was a major bodybuilder. I mean, huge, big muscle guy. And that afternoon, my brother-in-law coaxed him into picking up his car. Yes, this actually happened. And my parents' driveway is on a huge incline, too. Okay? So I watched as Reed went over, grabbed the back bumper of that Subaru Brat, and he picked the entire car up off of the ground. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Therefore, when the wedding ceremony was over, I ran out of the place like I was still in elementary school. Reed, 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 Reed. Hey, it's down. Hey, it's down. It's down. I couldn't wait to see this guy again. He gripped my hand, shook his hand. I think I turned to his wife. I think my exact quote to her was, when I was a kid, I thought your husband was an actual superhero. I mean, I thought he was the real deal. And I'm pretty sure after shaking Reed's hand that he could still pick up a car. A little nervous, a little nervous. So who's the strongest person you know? And, and, and what makes them strong? Are you just born strong? Is it something that you have to work on? Do you have to go to the gym a lot? Do you drink muscle milk every morning for breakfast? Do you become strong by experiencing a, a lot of difficult things in life? Do you, do you become strong by, by learning every you know, 14th word in the dictionary? Do you become strong by doing some online Stuart Smalley self-esteem classes? To, do you become strong by learning to speak Dutch better than just okay? What is it that makes a person strong? Well, all of those things could make you strong. All of those things can help. All of those can give you a measure of strength and, and aptitude in your life. But what is one of the strongest strengths that a person can ever have? What kind of strength would cause your spouse and your kids and your grandkids, your parents, your friends, your neighbors, complete strangers to respect you? and appreciate you? What kind of strength would cause people to want to be around you instead of avoiding being around you? What kind of strength in your life would, would do something where you actually have more hope in your life than stress in your life? And maybe in a more challenging way, what is the strength that actually gives some evidence that you truly are a Christian. What kind of strength is that? Well, Paul's got one answer for all of those questions, and we're going to look at it now. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. One of the strongest strengths that you can have is to be gentle in spirit. Now, someone might be thinking, Whoa, <laughs> and I am not very strong because I am not very gentle. Or, or maybe someone's thinking, 
gentle, gentle, that's, that's weak. That's weak. Gentle people, they're, they're not strong. Gentle people aren't strong leaders. Gentle people get run over. Gentle people will be the, the kind of people that would run our country into the ground. Gentle. Nah. So what does it mean to be gentle in spirit? Well, the word that Paul uses here could also be translated forbearing or considerate or reasonable. Now just think through those words, just your own dictionary version in your mind of those words. Forbearing, considerate, reasonable, gentle. I mean, at first glance in our mind, those, those things sound like impossible, right? I mean, who can really pull off being gentle and considerate and reasonable and forbearing? So if they sound like a lot, they are a lot. And so how would we define that? Well, we're going to take a pretty good shot at it, and we're going to start this way. Rob Morgan says this, Gentleness means staying calm in conflicts and kind in conduct, and when we learn to do that, it reduces anxiety, it reflects Christ, it gets things done, and pleases God. All right, listen to those again. Staying calm. Being kind, reducing anxiety, getting things done, pleasing God. Those don't sound weak and wimpy. Those sound defining. In God's economy, the manliest man is gentle in spirit. In God's economy, the drama queen does not deserve our attention. But the woman who is gentle in spirit, she should be honored and respected. A man and woman like that are the kind of people we want hanging around when things get stressful and chaotic, when things get disturbing or depressing, when things get difficult, when things look like they're not working out. We want someone who's gentle in spirit around. We want someone by definition who's calm in conflict, who gets things done, and who pleases God. We want someone who can stay in that world. That's a pretty good picture of what it means to be gentle in spirit. So along the way today, we will keep asking ourselves that question for our own hearts. Are, are you that kind of person? Are you the kind of person that is calm in conflict, that, that gets things done and, and stays calm in such a way and gets things done in such a way that you're pleasing God? Do you, do you stay in that mode? Someone might say, well, I just wasn't born that way. Okay. All right, fair enough. Hang on to that sentence, and, and we're going to circle back to it in just a few minutes. Here's another picture of what it means to be gentle in spirit. There was a man who was the first-time leader of a brand-new nation, a nation of about 2 million people. And he was transitioning that nation from the most defining thing that had ever happened in their life. They were brutally treated slaves, and he led them into freedom. He wasn't run over, and he did not run the country into the ground. He was a strong leader, and this is what the Bible says, Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, more often than not, when we hear the word meek, we think weak. Oh, gentle, modest, meek, weak. We don't think of strength. 
But true meekness and true gentleness is the opposite of weakness. Kent Hughes said this about Moses. Moses was the most meek man on earth, but at the same time, Moses was a man who could act decisively, be as hard as nails, and rise to anger at the proper time. Those who are gentle and meek are immensely powerful people, for they are controlled by God. Let me just stop make a, a quick note when you see the word anger. You know, oh, he knew how to get angry at the right time, at the proper time. It's an important lesson. Don't think just because you're angry, you're right. <laughs> There's only a few times that anger is right, and, and that's when we are angry over the dishonor of God, either in our culture or in our personal life. Moses knew when to get angry at the right time. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Moses get angry at the wrong time sometime? Yeah, <laughs> just like the rest of us. But he was meek. He had a gentle spirit. He made mistakes. He failed just like we do. But generally speaking, the greatest strength or one of the greatest strengths in his life is that he was gentle in spirit. So again, I ask her, are you that kind of person? Are you the kind of person that can, can be decisive and can be firm and still be gentle and reasonable? You might again say, well, <laughs> I just, I wasn't born that way. All right, hang on to that. We're, we're going to circle back to it in just a second. Here's another picture of being gentle in spirit from David, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to the Lord. David was a king. David was a warrior. But he was gentle in spirit. He was forbearing. He was reasonable. How do we know that? Well, the word he uses right here for commit, it means to, to roll. John Piper describes it this way. Meek people have discovered that God is trustworthy, and so they roll their business, roll their problems, their relationships, their health, their fears, their frustrations. They roll all this onto the Lord. They admit that they are insufficient to cope with the complexities and pressures and obstacles of life. And they trust that God is able and willing to sustain them and guide them and protect them. So, what kind of roller are you? Do, do, you, do you roll on? Do you know how to roll? Are you working hard in your life to to try to fight, to strive to roll things onto the Lord? Are you working hard to surrender to the Lord, to yield to the Lord? Or are you doing something different? Maybe you aren't a great roller. Are you a fixer? Are you a whiner? Are you a complainer? You're the kind of person you just don't want to get involved, or, or do you just not care? All of us have a little bit of that in us, okay? from time to time. But, but are those the traits that dominate you? What would your spouse and your kids and your parents and your friends and your coworkers and your classmates, what would they say they see most in you? Not, not what happens every now and then, but, but mostly, do they see any picture of having a gentle spirit in your life? Do they see any reasonableness? Do they see that you have the ability to stay calm and to roll things on the Lord, to not fret over evil, 
but to roll things on the Lord. Here's another picture of a gentle spirit. Paul's writing about Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is the son of the most high and holy God. He has authority over the entire universe. And in a moment, he could have snapped his fingers. And legions of angels would have come and rescued him and defended him. They would have rescued him from the brutality of Roman torture. They would have rescued him from the brutality of a Roman crucifixion. But Jesus didn't snap his fingers. No, with with a gentle spirit, he humbled himself. He endured the cross and all of its shame so that he could deliver you from death. Jesus is the ultimate perfect picture of what it means to be forbearing, considerate, reasonable, and gentle. Elise Fitzpatrick describes the gentleness of Jesus in the context of of modesty. This is just a a very unique and, and powerful picture. This is what she says. Jesus didn't show off his power or authority because he loved his neighbor, his bride. Jesus was modest because he loved the church. Conversely, immodesty flows out of the heart of a show-off. Maybe we've worked hard at the gym or purchased an expensive new pair of jeans. Maybe we want to prove how free we are to dress in any way we choose, no matter how scandalous. When we show off, we're failing to love our brothers and sisters who may be tempted toward lust or covetousness or sinful imitation. Showing off is a fruit of pride and love of self. Immodesty demonstrates a cold unconcern for the church. But then she says this. The beauty of the gospel, however, is that it convicts us that we're all unloving show-offs in some way. It also assures us that we've been loved and that we no longer need to show off to get other people's approval. Because here's the best news of all, she says. The record of our modest Redeemer is ours. Our identity isn't wrapped up in the approval of envy or lust of others. Our identity is found in Christ's life, his death, his resurrection. Christ is our life. And then she says this. He loved us and refrained from showing off so that we could be his and freed from the need to prove that we've got a great body or wardrobe or because we've been lavished with his love instead. All right, let's, let's pull your answer back out that we've all thought from time to time. Man, I, I just wasn't made that way. I, I wasn't born that way. Fair enough. This, what she just said, is a, is a bit of an answer to that. You're right. You weren't born that way. You were born with an inward knowledge that you exist to glorify and enjoy God. But you have pushed and pressed and rejected that truth to cooperate with your desire to please yourself and get your way. And guess what? That's true of every single one of us. 
That's who we are without Christ. These, these beings that know on the inside, we have been created for glory. We've been created to enjoy the one true God of the universe, but we push and we press and we reject because we want to please ourselves and we want to have our way. That's why you never have to teach a kid how to throw a temper tantrum, right? We didn't have to walk them through that. They got it. We've said that before, and it's very true. But if you've turned from your sin and you've received the salvation that comes through Jesus, God has done this amazing thing. He has replaced your heart. He's given you a new heart, not a, not a rebellious heart. He's, he's pulled that heart away and he's given you a new heart, a new heart that is designed to be overwhelmed over and over and over again, minute by minute, that the truth of your life is that there is no more condemnation over you. Because you are in Christ Jesus. If you've been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, your spirit, your attitude, they've had a complete overhaul. You have a brand new status in heaven. And that means that, yes, you were not born with a gentle spirit. But because you've been redeemed, you can have a gentle spirit. You can be forbearing. You can be considerate. You can be reasonable. Why? Because Jesus makes it possible. He's our reason. He's our motivation. He's our fuel for being gentle in spirit. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love him because he first loved us. If we use that as kind of a template, we could say, you know what? I can be gentle in spirit because Jesus was first gentle in spirit for me. We could say, you know what? We can be considerate and we can be forbearing and we can be reasonable and we can be gentle because Jesus first was forbearing and considerate and reasonable and gentle for us. He was all of those things as he boldly went to the cross to save us from our sin. What do you think would happen in your house or in our community or in this church with your relationships, with complete strangers you bump into? What would happen if we as believers were more passionate about being gentle in spirit, more passionate about being forbearing and reasonable and considerate? I came across a couple of stories this week. Uh, the first one is about a church in Kentucky that has a red roof and a green roof. Yeah, they got two colors on their roof. And the reason they have two colors on their roof is because the church was fighting so much over red or green, they finally just said, you know what, we'll just let everybody have their way and we'll do both of them. Now, at first glance, somebody might say, well, oh, well, they were gentle in spirit. They, they let everybody kind of have their way, so they were being reasonable and forbearing. Now, see, the definition of being gentle in spirit is that nobody would have been fighting to get their way. At some point, the red folks would have said, hey, who cares? Let's go green. Or the green folks would have said, hey, who cares? Let's go red. See, the very nature of being reasonable and considerate and gentle in spirit is that you're not fighting 
even for what might be your right. You don't fight for it until you know in that moment God is leading you. And let me just say, I dare say I don't think God is leading any of us to be right about green or red on the roof. Being considerate and reasonable means that if Jesus were to walk into a church business meeting, he wouldn't find you fighting over the color of the roof. He wouldn't find you being one of the people that's, that's arguing about the time change on the potluck supper or, or arguing about the fact that the chairs were rearranged in Sunday school class. Now, being considerate and gentle in spirit and reasonable means that you're, you're always submitting and surrendering to the Lord. And you're speaking when it's necessary, but you aren't fighting over things that don't matter. And in the conflict, you stay calm to get things done. Second story is about some kids playing in the backyard. They were out there just playing and loud, and the father was sitting in the house. But all of a sudden, he noticed that the sounds were a little different. People were sounding a little angry. And then he heard one kid just shrill at the top of his voice, that's my chair. And then all, all melee broke loose. So he, he ran outside. And he found all these kids piled up on top of these one kid. And so he pulled them off. He sat them down. What, what in the world are y'all doing? What's happening? What's going on? Well, his daughter was one of the ones playing in the backyard. She said, oh, daddy, daddy, don't, don't, be, don't be mad at us. Don't, don't make us stop playing. We were just playing a game. We were just having fun. He said, well, honey, what kind of game were y'all playing? We were just playing church. <laughs> the gentle spirit of Jesus was one of the defining foundations of him rescuing you and rescuing me from eternal pain and death. And so, therefore, his gentle spirit should fuel us to be reasonable, to be considerate, to be forbearing. Not perfectly, we can't do it. But it should at least be seen in our lives. We would be considerate with roof colors or chairs or classrooms or music or the font in the bulletin or, or anything and everything that happens at home, at work, at school, in the community, and the world doesn't mean that we're meek and weak. It just means that we're wise. It just means that we keep surrendering to the Lord and we wait for him to light up the next step. Let me share one more story that's the opposite of plain church and red roof, green roof. David Roper tells the story of a 92-year-old woman. And this 92-year-old woman, her name was Mrs. Jones, and, and she was legally blind. Every morning, she would get up, and she would bathe and shower, get dressed, fix her hair, put on her makeup as if she had company coming any day. She would do that every day. She was married to her husband for 70 years, and after his death, it became necessary for her to, to go to some type of assisted living home. And, and when she got there on move-in day, her room wasn't ready. So she had to wait in the lobby, not just for a few minutes, but for a few hours, and after a few hours, finally the staff member came and, and got her and they began to walk to her room and the staff member was telling her all about her room, all the things they had done and, you know, there's this and we move this and we put new curtains up. And Miss Jones just stopped her and said, you know what, I love it. Well, her personal attendant was with her and her attendant said, well, Miss Jones, you haven't even seen your room yet. And this is what Miss Jones said. That doesn't have anything to do with it. Happiness is something you choose. 
whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how it's arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. Friend, if you are no longer condemned in your sin, if, if the blood of Jesus has washed you white as snow, if at your last breath you will be enjoying your first breath in eternity, in peace, in joy, in happiness, in satisfaction forever, then you have every reason to rearrange your mind. We have every reason at any moment of the day to rearrange our minds. Just for a second, look back over this last week. What'd you say to your spouse? What'd you say to your kids? What'd you say to your parents? What did you not say to your spouse, your kids, or your parents? What did you do when that thing happened at work or that thing happened at school? Look, we're not perfect. It's never going to happen. But who are we normally? Is there a reasonableness in our life? Is there a gentleness in our spirit? Are we the kind of people that we understand because we've been saved, because death no longer has its grip on us, do we know that that is our fuel for saying, you know what, I need to rearrange my mind right now. I need to roll this onto the Lord. And I can promise you it will not be easy. It's never easy for me, and sometimes I don't pull it off. But the reality is because of our salvation, we have every reason to be good rollers and good rearrangers. May God give us strength to do that. But there's even a higher motivation than any of the things that we've shared thus far. A higher motivation for us to be forbearing and considerate and reasonable and gentle in spirit, even on the hard days. And Paul gives us that motivation. Listen to what he says next in verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. We should be motivated to have a gentle spirit because the Lord is near. What does that mean? Well, it means Jesus is near. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Ask him. He's right there. He's always in the room. He's always around. He's always available to hold us accountable. And he's always available to encourage us and help us. But there's a, a bigger sense here of him being near, and that is that he's near in the sense that he's coming again. Someone might say, well, how do we know that's real? I mean, it's been a long time. How do we know it's, it's really true that he'll come again? Well, I'll just give you, out of maybe a billion answers to that question, I'll just give you two for the sake of time. We'll just do two. Christmas and Easter. Those are kind of enough to get the conversation started. You see, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. He is the Messiah. Jesus appeared in a manger. He was born. Jesus conquered sin. He was crucified. And Jesus conquered death. He is risen. Just those few things are enough to get the conversation going to say, you know what? Jesus has proved himself to be authentic and unstoppable. 
And if he's that authentic and that unstoppable, if I would have to take years to pick apart all the evidence of the existence and the power and the glory and the life and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, then I better bank on his return. Because Jesus is authentic, because he's unstoppable, he is coming again. So the question is this, how will he find us? When Jesus returns, how will he find us? Look, I'm not trying to scare you into some religious, legalistic, fundamentalist fear factor of, oh, I got to be obeying all the time. Look, for all I know, Jesus is going to come back when you're arguing with your spouse about how to get to the restaurant. (laughs) You know? I mean, really, let's be real. It might happen, you know? So this isn't fear factor. This is faith factor. This is not, oh, I'm afraid. No, this is Oh, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. Death no longer has its grip on me, so that's my fuel. That's my motivation to strive to say, how can I be gentle in spirit? How can I be more forbearing and and more reasonable? Let me put it this way. What happens when you hear something bad in the news? Like, like you hear of, of some awful thing that's happened, some evil thing that's happened, or some, some stressful thing that's happened. Well, what's your first thought? Is your first thought, oh, man, this country is just going down the drain? Or when you hear those things, is your mind triggered, oh, yeah, Jesus said count on that news. That news will be on CNN. It will be on Fox News. It'll be in the paper. It'll be in my social media feed. Jesus said these things will happen. So is our first reaction, oh, the country is going down the drain, or is our first reaction, our Savior is drawing nigh? What would happen in the world if believers started listening to those powerful things from Jesus and instead of being afraid and fretting at the evildoers, we became the people that go, the king, the the king is near. The king is coming again. When you look at some of your favorite Christians in history, when you read the more than four or five, six hundred hymns that John Newton wrote, they're all about heaven. They're all about eternity. They, they all have this picture of Jesus coming again. And friend, to be gentle in spirit means that we're fighting in every moment to say, the Lord is near, my Savior is nigh, the King is coming. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. I was reading about a woman who lives alone, but she was telling a friend of hers she never feels like she lives alone. This is what she said. This is so beautiful. I never feel that the house is empty. I never come home to an empty house. For the Lord lives there with me. He is always near. And I talk to him whenever I feel like it, frequently throughout the day. That's simple and that's beautiful. And the psalmist had a similar kind of experience, it seems. Psalm 119. I cried 
with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. I cried unto thee, save me. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness. You hear the despair? God, I'm crying out to you, save me, rescue me. And then kind of in the middle of that conversation, he writes this. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord. <laughs> I love that. Just right on. Oh, oh, yeah. Thou art near. I don't have to wish for you to be near, God. I don't even necessarily have to ask you to come near. You, you are near. Lord, you are always near. F.B. Meyer said this, true Christianity does not postpone the presence of Christ to the future. We're not supposed to be people that just go, oh, Jesus is coming again, Jesus is coming again, Jesus is coming again. That's good, but that's not supposed to be the only thing we say. He goes on. We don't postpone the presence of Christ to the future or recall it from the past. You know, we want to love the Old Testament, but we don't want to live there in such a way that we kind of forget that Jesus is coming again. True Christianity does not postpone the presence of Christ to the future or recall it from the past, but lives in the sense that he is. He is. That's what we want to teach our kids. But that's why I can just fill up with joy sitting next to Charlotte and Maddie on the front row as they sing Hosanna. Because we're helping them see Jesus is. He's not some distant God. He's not somewhere far away. He has come. He has made himself known. He is here. He is near. And he is coming again. Meyer goes on to say this. Hence the gospel by St. John contains such recurring phrases as, I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. Christ lives in the present tense, and blessed is the soul that has learned that lesson. Friend, I promise you, your soul wants to learn that lesson. You may not know it today, but I promise you've been created for your soul to want that lesson. So let's stay near that lesson. Let's stay near what it means to be forbearing. Let's stay near what it means to be reasonable. Let's stay near what it means to be considerate and gentle. Let everybody in this room and everybody who's in our church and everybody who's at your home and everybody who you'll sit next to in the restaurant and everybody who you'll work with this week and everybody that you go to school with this week, Paul says let all of those people Know that you have a gentle spirit, not because you were born with it, because you're a great person, but because death no longer has its grip on you. May they know our gentle spirit because we are staying near the Lord. We're staying near the Lord. Friend, the Lord is near. The Lord is near near.